You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! because she'd be very uh, more au fait with this man that we're about to speak to than I am, although I only know him by reputation. Um, so we've got Sue Stanley, OAM, with us. And uh, Sue and I, incidentally, are not going out together in case you uh, didn't hear the news. We're just good friends. Uh, I'd like to clear that up because people have been sending us congratulatory uh, messages and uh, when were we getting betrothed and all that. And... Uh, Sue's had to bat back all the criticism and uh, every time there's something erupts in the paper again she's got to ring her mother and father up and say no, please take no notice of it. So anyhow, um, now the, as is often the case uh, when we interview uh, people of interest, no matter who they are, sportsmen, politicians, members of the public for various reasons, there is such a body of work and so many stats that uh, you could read out it would take half the day. This man is no exception. So uh, he will pardon me for not reading out his uh, vast uh, repertoire of uh, statistics and achievements, but we will uh, hone in on what we think uh, we would like to ask him. And he is a, um, a great Australian sports star, and his name is Stephen... James Monaghetti. That's and me. welcome. Thanks, John. I'm allowed to call you John. You I, call I, me anything yes, you like. I, I like yep. to be respectful and, there, and no, Sue. That's it. It's Thank great you. to be along. Appreciate and And, you know, we go back and, and I, I owe you – I'm doing this as a, a favour because I yep. owe you because you – I was on the footy show a couple of times and, you know, it's always a bit unnerving because, you know, you're putting yourself out there and it's and you kind of, do I be funny? And they don't want you to be too funny. You've got to be a bit careful. Oh, and no. I'm, I'm not naturally don't funny. Don't overshadow the yeah. talent. Otherwise, whoa, you don't come back and you, <laughs> and you get told. Anyway, you were very good, John. You, you know, you've got your persona and, and all of that. And I was thinking, wow, you know, gosh, this I'm, should I be afraid of the big man? And oh, anyway, yeah. you took me under under your wing and you were terrific and I will never forget that so I owe you and that's wow. um that's that you know you didn't need to do that I was just a guest of one of you know about 20 on the well, day probably and you did the right thing I so have to have thanks, you mate. bronzed um, <laughs> because um uh, that is uh, indeed rare uh, to people to speak highly of me uh, Steve uh, but I appreciate it up uh, now and Sue, you know, we go back a long way as well and it's terrific to come and um, just catch up. But that's why I love doing these things. I'm a really social person and it's just lovely to, you know, we haven't seen each other for a long time and up until, well, as you know, last week, but it's been terrific to be able to catch up again and, and just, um, yeah, see what we're all up to. Both members of the Australian Sports Hall of Fame. Sue, have I got this right? Sport Australia Hall of Fame, right, correct. Well, I nearly got it right. Nearly, nearly. And uh, Steve is an... AM. He's an AM. And aren't you're you? an OAM. And I'm, yeah. And we think AM is one step up from an OAM. Oh, I think so. I'll bow to that because Steve is a legend. Is, is that correct? AM? That's right. Yeah. So. How um, no, Steve yeah, is a legend. And <laughs> in case anyone <laughs> on the other side of the world doesn't know who Steve Monaghetti is, he is a, uh, he's the marathon man. Although, uh, I just, the marathon man is about a, uh, a, a political 
hit job uh, about the Nazis, uh, a film that was made, I think, and not Dustin Hoffman was in it, so don't confuse Marathon Man with uh, what Steve is. Uh, that's the film. And, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, before we get onto the elephant in the room, you know what the elephant in the room is. It's about the Commonwealth Games and why we're not doing them, but we've got a much bigger body of work. Uh, to speak to you about. Uh, speaking of films, you're a film star. You're in um, a film. You were John Johns in a film called Reverse Runner. I was, and um, I loved it. I, I have the quip of, you know, it was a, a person who'd been a champion, a backwards runner or reverse runner, and then sort of fallen on hard times. And um, they picked the right person. It was like um, art imitating life, wasn't it, really? <laughs> but, gee, I was terrible as a reverse runner. You should have seen me because we did a, you know, we did a few run-throughs and stuff and a few practice runs. There was one scene in the movie where I had to actually run backwards down at Landy Field in Geelong and – Oh my God, it was hard. Jeez, I, and I was slow out of the blocks. They had to they had to speed the film up to oh, make so, me look so okay. So they couldn't just have you running and then play the film in reverse. No, no, I actually ran and in no, reverse. What was the premise of the film of a reverse runner? It was obviously a comedy, wasn't it? It was. It was, it? was a. It was a great. If anyone you can, I don't know. That we don't have Bruce video McElmany stores. Was in it. Bruce, I, I asked Bruce. He um, over. Um, uh, voiceover gave a voiceover oh, of yeah. the actual race it was and it, it is a great family movie it's is not it? it's certainly not it wasn't going to win an oscar <laughs> and it's not great but it's nice to have on your cv that i've been in a movie and got released and on we'd had the red carpet down at colac where the the two people who um came up with it they sent me the script and i thought actually this is pretty good you know because you get asked as you guys do you get asked to do lots of things and this was one i thought actually that's not bad i might it might um and i really got into the character john johnson and and you know i had i had wore, got this old army jacket i had from <laughs> um when i was a kid at school and um i took that down and you know i was really they were they were tickled pink because i i really took on that's kind of what i do you know i'm a bit of a bit of a OCD perfectionist. If I'm going to do something, I do it properly. So I did, and, and it was uh, a treat. fiscally worthwhile? <laughs> Zero, uh, that's right. I'm Zero. still waiting for the, for Residuals. the follow, follow-up <laughs> payments. But no, it's on my CV. That's about now, the only Steve, accolade I get out of that, John. I was driving back from playing golf uh, down the coast. I play down at the National. and As you would. As you would. And coincidentally, this is before I even asked you to come on, uh, and thought, knew that you were going to come on. There was a signpost. This is true, Sue. You look at me as um, uh, uh, there was a signpost that said Melbourne, forty-two kilometres away. And I thought forty-two kilometres is how far people run a marathon. And I couldn't even see the buildings in the city. I couldn't. For this was down the East Link. Uh, you would need a telescope to see the building. And I thought. Someone runs, I, this is true, I'm sitting there, before I even thought Steve would come on, I didn't know he's coming, and I thought someone would run from 42 kilometres from where I am just past that signpost into the city in just over two hours. I thought that is, it took me an, uh, over an hour in the car to get home with the traffic and everything. I thought that is extraordinary and here you are. My So this is my opening question after that uh, ridiculous preamble. Uh, what are the me- what what are the mechanics of doing that? Oh, what yeah. are the mechanics of doing that? It, it's obviously it's something you need to train for, and you can't just turn up and run a marathon at that speed without a background of running. And and so that's the great thing that I like about marathon running because 
no matter how much talent you've got, you can't just turn up and, and run in the Olympic marathon. You've actually got to go through this preparatory stage of getting years and years of training under your belt. So to be, I like that because there's a respect amongst marathon runners because you've had to have done the work. And we, we kind of, you're funnily a enough... You're a we masochist. Are you're a, not a sadist. You're a masochist. But funnily enough, we actually have, you know, a, a great sort of line that we, once you actually get to the marathon... That's kind of the icing on the cake because it's sort of the end of the journey. You've done all the training and it's kind of the, the bonus that you get for having absorbed all that running. And I like to tell people, I know it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, I wasn't great at doing it myself, but you should be able to enjoy that 42.2k journey because you put all of this work in over, can be, for me, it was a lifetime. It was 10 or 12 years for me of training. So when you get to the start line on a marathon, I try to say to people, you know, enjoy it if you can. And remember the thing I say to people who are th- contemplating running their first marathon or on the start line and go, you only run your first marathon once. So enjoy it because once you cross that finish line, you are a you member of their exclusive club. Well, a lot of people never no. do it again, but hopefully you will. You'll get inspired and you'll want to run faster or you'll enjoy it so much you'll come back. So I said this to someone uh, a while ago. Uh, we we're talking about sport or something. We we're talking about sports and I said, I said, I contend, and I'm saying this to you, you cannot train for a marathon. You, can't, you can train to play tennis. You can train to play football. You go through the... Things of you cannot run forty two k just uh, week in week out training for a marathon, I which know is actually true. You can't, no, and that's why on a Sunday morning I wouldn't actually run the marathon distance. I'd run thirty five k in the morning, so two and a half hours in the forest around Ballarat. Then just that lazy night, thirty five k. I'd go out and I'd run another ten k separately, but I had to have that break in the middle because if you try and run forty two k. The marathon point. Not just go the extra seven after 35. No, and that that last seven (laughs) is is actually quite, that's the hardest seven, obviously. And if you're doing that at race pace, you can't all those super shoes now, which I'm sure we'll touch on, Ah, but we haven't spoke, you know, in my day, you couldn't, you'd run a marathon and you'd be smashed. So you take two months to recover, you get back into training. So you couldn't actually do it at race pace every week because your body just breaks down. So So you had to target just these specific races and train up for it. Starting to run a marathon. At what stage, there must be a stage in the marathon when you start. Now, I don't know what, it must alter, vary from run to run. There must be a time when you get a sixth sense that you say, I'm on today or, man, this is going to be hard. And how far into a marathon do you usually know, well, I can do this today, I'm on song I can run and maybe break the field up or do you like to come from behind or you just keep pace or get in the uh, the uh, the wind shadow of the people? The I was always a front runner, so I was always on pace and run even pace. And you normally have pacemakers, so say they set the pace that either you or someone else has agreed on and you hang on and then they drop out at various stages during the race. But you wouldn't, if you're having a bad race, you know pretty early on. If you're having a good race, your fingers crossed, you get to sort of 30K and you get to 30. 32 is pretty significant because that's, you know, that's 20 miles in, you know, and the marathon yep. was based on 25 miles initially and then in 26. Uh, moved it to, well, it was 25 from was Athens. It, yeah. it went, it went The first one in 1896 actually ran from marathon to Athens, you know, yep. in, in, in uh, honour of the war. Yep. But then in 1908 at the London Olympics, the king wanted the event to start 
in front of Windsor Castle. Oh, we yeah. got up in the morning and went out in the balcony and fired the gun. And he said, oh, now I'm going to work in it, you know, White City. We'll finish in there. Or, and, that, and luckily they measured it and that's when it went to 26 miles, 385 yards, which is 42.2 yeah. kilometres. So that's where the actual exact distance came. So you normally get to about 32k and then you start saying, well, I'm feeling pretty good. There's still time for the wheels to fall off, but I reckon, you know, just get to 35k and then you get to 35 and you get to 37. Then you get to 40 and the once you see a four on the K markers, you suddenly think, well, I'm going to make it now, so I'm right. And that's when you probably realise you're having a good so, day. So that's interesting you say. So the vagaries of the human body, I'm sure you prepare exactly the same for every marathon or every long-distance run, even the 10,000 metres, maybe not. You would eat the same things. But the vagaries of the human body, you get on the line, you think, I just don't... Biorhythms are not good today or... When do you? Yeah, that can why, happen. Why do yeah. you? Why do you? I know this is a ridiculous question. Why but do you feel different? Why? How can you vary your your um, your intensity or your desire? How can, not your desire? How can it vary from race to race? Just you just wake up on a day and your body just feels different. So you might have a bit of a bug. You know, often the races are oh, overseas. Yeah, they're in hot weather, so you might be a bit dehydrated. So there's a lot of factors. And in a marathon, so if you were, if I was walking down the street 100 metres, it wouldn't matter. So I have a little bit of a cold. I walk down the street 100 metres. I don't feel any different to if I felt great. But in a marathon... It is such a, a test of your body that some, like a blister, I could get a blister and imagine I finished the Olympic marathon and I said, I had to pull out today because I had a blister. Oh, yeah. People would go, God, you pee hard. But it actually could happen Absolutely. because you just, you're going such a long way that it just, these things get exaggerated. So just a little blister that you'd put up within a 10K or some other race, that could affect you enough that you have to pull out of a marathon. So it really, it just exaggerates things in life. That's why I love telling people to do one because you really have to look inside yourself you get a, a very good analysis of you as a person internally and the, the the way your makeup is through the lens of a marathon because you have to look inside yourself because otherwise you don't get it done because it is such a test of human endeavor it can't be good for you steve my son jack who started running and he's become obsessed with running and he wanted to run in the uh, Last marathon they had Melbourne here with marathon, Melbourne, Melbourne Marathon. He said no. Nike and he Melbourne said himself, marathon, yeah. and he, uh, he, uh, he won't mind me saying this because he, he's not here today, but he works upstairs. And he trained and did it, and he went on it. And I, I didn't hear from him for two days. And I rang him up. I said, Where are you? He said, I'm in bed. I said, What's happened? He said, I tell you, my body has expired. It's a, my legs are gone. My back's gone. He, he took him a month to recover from, and he, he'd done some training. He's a biggish lad, but he did it. And he thought, My word. And I'm saying it can't be good for you. Yep. You Ray, run 35K, you said, not every day. Every Sunday morning, oh, yes, but two hundred k's a week, I was running. Yeah. So, and I did that for is that good like for fifteen you, years. Well, well, <laughs> that's interesting because it's because when I was doing it, I was training for performance. I wasn't training for health and well being. So I probably look back now, and, and I probably agree with you. I'm not sure it's one hundred percent good for you, but at the time, the benefits I got out of yeah. that from my own just self satisfaction, challenging myself, the life lessons you learn along the way. I would encourage anyone to do it because those benefits, I think, far outweigh 
the negative sides of, and it, you know, you let your body recover. So Jack will be fine. I reckon if you ring him up now, he'll be going, mate, I'm already training for my next one. Yeah, no, he's, he's come good, but it, uh, I think with a bit of help from uh, uh, Susan Stanley, OAM, in her uh, supplement to regime, with her, I think she, she managed to get him back on his have, feet. Have you ever considered <laughs> doing a marathon? Uh, not even if I thought it would uh, solve world hunger <laughs> would, uh, would I attempt to do a marathon. No? No. Not even in your heyday, in your running days oh, or well, in, my in your heyday, career? I, 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 I'd have a crack at it in my heyday. I, I, just to be able to run, just to be able to just jog on the spot for 42, uh, not on the spot, just making progressive uh, steps forward, 42K, I'd, I'd ha- handle that. But I was more a, I was nothing incidentally, but I was more a, a sprinter had that. I was a hurdler at school. I was, I was a pretty good athlete, but um, I, I think you have to have different muscles for it all. Someone well, you said, do. Could yeah. Usain Bolt run a marathon? I wouldn't have thought he could run a marathon in a million years. No, well, Kathy Freeman did. Um, did she? Yeah, she ran uh, Hobo. She was going to run New York, but um, it was a hurricane and they called it off, and she ended up then going to. Um, to Hobart Marathon, I think 2013, so about 10 years ago. And she, so you can, and she made it and ran, she trained really hard for it. What happens is you you have, most people have about 50-50 slow-twitch fibres, fast-twitch fibres. If you're a good hurdler, you were born genetically with more fast-twitch fibres. I went to Little Ass and I was last in the sprint. I couldn't jump, couldn't, yes. couldn't all of that. But You were turned away. I was turned away, yes. Your so father was told you are no good and you shouldn't persist with this. And that's how little athletics <laughs> was then. And, and, you know, I got that's the message. I didn't come back until and, – and this again shows how fate can intervene because that person was right. I was no good at little athletics because I was, I was a small, wimpy little kid and, and I couldn't, couldn't lift the shot put, let alone put it anywhere. And so I wasn't going to be good at athletics – per se except for the distance running component and that's what I say now about athletics there is sport for everybody because if you're big and powerful you can throw the shot put if you're fast you can sprint and if you're like me and good at long distance have a high slow twitch fiber count then there's distance events and walks so that there's an event for everyone in athletics but at little athletics then was was less about encouraging, you know, you go off and play some other sport and that's what I did and it wasn't until I was 14 years of age, which was sort of a bit older for a, for a distance runner, that my next-door really? neighbour in, in Ballarat, um, a guy called Gary Looker, who I, I um, treasure and thank him uh, regularly for uh, knocking on my door and inviting me out to a local club race out at Lake Barrenbeet cross-country event and out I went and I've been running ever since. Yeah, and, but you started competitively, did you not? With the 10,000 metres, that's 25 laps of the oval, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Yeah, uh, so I do, well, not a, it depends, not of a footy oval, of a track. It no, is. A footy oval is often track, a bit long. Right, proper track. I actually started track. out, my first ever race, I think, was about 3K out there. So I, when you're younger, I was only 14, you know, I was running 800s and 1500 metres. Um, at school and for um, Ballarat Harry's and Ballarat YCW. And then as you get older, you go out in distance. So I didn't, you know, I was running 10,000 metres on the track, but you don't kind of want to run those. You want to run, you know, it's a long way for a young kid to run 10,000 metres on the track. So I didn't, so my track, longer track stuff didn't happen until I got more into senior ranks. And that's, you know, I went away as a, at the, to the Commonwealth Games as a 10,000 metre runner. 
1986. So I, was, I wasn't great on the track, but I did make that team as a 10,000-metre runner, exactly as you said, and I didn't know I was going to be a marathon runner. I hoped I would one day, but at that stage oh, I was so just focusing was, on the this track. This was just a step to achieve what you wanted to do and be a marathon runner all along. Yeah, and well, well, it's progression. even better story. This, this is where fate did intervene because three months beforehand, my coach, Chris Wardlaw, he looked at the team I was in um, in that 86 Commonwealth Games team and there was only two in the men's marathon. So there's Rob Degasteller and Granville Wood from South Australia and there was a spot, vacancy, because every country's allowed to have three and Chris rang me up and said, look, I might chat to Athletics Australia and see if I can get your spot in the marathon team and um, and I said, oh, what do I have to do? And he said, oh, just don't worry, you just have to add a couple of miles onto your Sunday run. The rest of it you can just train like you're a 10,000 metre run that's what you're going for so I rang Athletics Australia they said yep that's fine so I got to run in the marathon so I ran the 10k on the Saturday night and finished fifth and the next Friday I was lining up for my first marathon and um, uh, fate would have it I ended up winning a bronze medal so I went straight to the top I didn't kind of have any of these sort no. of wishy-washy marathons I just went straight to wow. Commonwealth Games wouldn't happen now but that's how it was back then so you ran the marathon in four Olympics Four Olympics, yep. yeah. Yeah, um, uh, um, um, I, I remember uh, Barcelona uh, for Seoul, Barcelona, Atlanta, and Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Melbourne. Australia, Sydney, yeah, Sydney, Australia. Yeah. Yep. So the strategy of lining up against um, the world's best uh, for a medal, uh, any sort of medal, or just even a personal best. Do you do the homework on how? With how their training goes, what times they've been recording, is the gamesmanship standing there, or it's a bit too far to run to have any gamesmanship. A bit of the the latter rather than the former. I mean, what you want to do is if you get all of your training right, the marathon's a challenge in itself. So if you get all your training right, what you want to do is have the perfect marathon race. Now I was probably at a level in the world where if I ran the perfect marathon race. I was in the top three in the world. So by running the perfect race, you didn't have to worry about tactics as much. But you would get to sort of the 35k mark, and if there's the three of us in the pack, you suddenly go, well, I'm going to finish third, but I'd like to finish first. So I've got to do something now to make sure I get rid of you two. So that's where, you know, do I wait? Do I think, can I out-sprint you? Well, probably not, because, Sammy, we know you've got... You're a hurdler, you've got fast twitch fibres, so you obviously have fast... I'm not going to out-sprint both of you, so I have to make sure I get rid of you before we get into the last sort of K because you're going to out-sprint me. So that's where tactically I start thinking, well, I'm having a pretty good race. I'm going to finish third at worst, but why not, Hell, let's go for it here and see if I can break these two and win a gold medal. So, go ahead. Have you ever had a meltdown right at the end? You see some of the marathon people and they... They've, they've run so hard and just before the line they delirious. They, yeah they just mm. the body just cramps and just has, have you ever had that happen to you no not i only had out of my 22 marathons fortunately for me i only had one bad one unfortunately it was at the barcelona olympics where i finished 48 but i still ran i still ran 223 which was okay and finished 48 but i hit the wall fairly early and hitting the walls running out of glycogen so you run out of sort of your energy supply it's a bit like you know having a having a a Ferrari or Lamborghini and at Lamborghinis you know I'd trained up so I, I, my engine was a Lamborghini mm-hmm. but what happened a couple of things beforehand I just didn't I did things slightly not too clever you would have thought I would have known better but I 
I didn't have fuel in the Lamborghini. So it didn't matter what the engine was, I didn't have the energy in the fuel tank. So I got halfway and basically I was dribbling petrol or fuel. So I battled onto the finish line. I did get there and finish. So I'm, I'm proud, you know. I wasn't going to pull out. I, I've never pulled out of a race in my life, touch wood. And I certainly wasn't going to do it at the Olympic Games. You know, you look down at the Australian no. singlet and you go, well, I'll, I'm going to finish and it is what it is. It's not a great result. It's not what I wanted. But it's the best I could do on that day, uh, and that's you, what you do you at the Olympic Games. Wood. You said touch wood. You're not still running. You're not running competitively, still, are you? Yes, sir. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely. the seniors. Well, about this time last year. Um, so there's a there's a meet on in Collingwood um, in a couple of days, and I broke the over sixty. Five k track world record. So, but uh, the wheels the have fallen off since then. Five k yeah. over sixty for five k. I ran fifteen fifty two years of age. Yeah, just what you are. Yeah, and I ran three eleven k pace. So about what's that around the tan? If you work out, it's probably about what's that four k four elevens twelve forty minus the hundred and thirty. It's about twelve minutes around the tan. And you won the four successive. Sydney City to surf mm-hmm. um, runs in uh, succession. Four yeah. of those. You must like to go up there and stick it up the uh, <laughs> Sydney people and then just wander yeah. back with Yeah, the we love that. Us Victorians going up there and telling yeah. them who's boss. And that record still stands. You know, I finally broke yeah. the record. I decaled it and I was keen on breaking it. And because I'd won three already, it wasn't sort of about winning. I know it's that's a bit sort of arrogant to say that, but I was probably the best runner in the field and my sights were on breaking that record and running faster than I'd run yep. before, which is also, I think that's nice if you set your own goals and if you know you're going to win, well, what you've got to do is then challenge yourself to run faster than you have before. And so that was my challenge. So apropos to my question about, I said, I'm sure you'd prepare uh, the same way and how do you know, why does your body not react if you prepare exactly the same way? And below me down, you said in Barcelona you didn't prepare the same way. Why, yeah. why did you not? What did you do wrong? Why didn't you prepare the same yeah. way? Well, without, without going on and on about it, being in Ballarat in winter, you know, Olympic Games yep. are in summer, so we thought, well, I'm not going to be acclimatised. So we rented a house in a place called Saint Cugat, just over the hill from Barcelona, and I got there about two and a half weeks before, and I was running in a full tracksuit, and and we, I I made sure the house didn't have any air conditioning because yep. I'm going to tough this out, and I'm sweating, and I remember laying awake in at night in a lather of sweat, thinking couldn't sleep because I was sweating so much, <laughs> it was so bloody hot. I'm thinking, how good's this? And what all I was doing was just depleting myself yep. and dehydrating really badly. So whilst I thought I was acclimatizing, all I was doing was wearing myself out, and. You know, good friend of ours, Ian Cover. Cove yep, was over yep, there. Yep. And um, we went for a run on the Wednesday. I also do this depletion diet. I was doing it then where I don't eat um, carbohydrates, don't eat any glycogen. And and then the second half of the week you do eat only glycogen and that sort of help, helps you to top up your glycogen supply. But um, Cove, so on the Wednesday we're going for a run and I've got no glycogen, I'm dehydrated. We're going for a run and I was struggling. And Cove's running down the road smashing me he's about 100 metres I couldn't keep up and he turns to Chris Wardlaw my coach and he goes you're not worried about money I mean you can't keep up with me I'm a three-hour marathon runner and Chris goes oh leave it to us experts you know but in fact Cove was onto it I was so de- so dehydrated that my body sw- 
um, closed down, didn't produce any natural glycogen, so it closed and went into survival mode and I started the race really depleted, got halfway, hit the wall and just sort of struggled to the finish line. So I overthought it and I learned from that and I, you know, I could have retired after Barcelona but I learned from that. I stayed in Ballarat in future races, used the heat chamber out at Ballarat University, very popular place, the heat chamber at Ballarat Uni in Ballarat in winter, and (laughs) that was the way I acclimatised. And then I went on to win Commonwealth Games in 94, and um, my crowning glory and my daughter, her partner, were there last weekend in Athens where I won my bronze medal, which is not... To me, it's like an Olympic bronze medal because in athletics, the World Championships and the Olympics have the same calibre of field. And that was in 1997. I was 35 years of age. It was hot. It was hilly. People said, you're old. You can't run in the hot weather. And I stuck it up and... You Sam and won a bronze yeah. medal and it's the great and I remember we started at the town of Marathon yeah. we ran into Athens and I came down the hill and Bruce McAvaney was commentating it because um, in 1987 at the World Championships I was also in third place and an Italian Gilindo Bordin just caught me at the 40k mark passed me and I finished fourth and he, there was an Italian catching me in Athens and I'm thinking and Bruce is kind of going and the, the, the camera couldn't quite show me and it missed me and it went back to this Italian and Bruce goes oh I think the Italians passed Monor and up to third but then the camera the motorbike sort of zoomed back down the road sure enough I was in third place and Bruce said oh thank god no he's fine he's still in third and I ran into the Panathinaikos Stadium the stadium was we were the only events men's and women's marathons were the only events that finished in that stadium I ran down and I ran in there and it was just the greatest moment Euphoria. of my life. I felt like my, I was... And there was, for some reason, they banned spectators from being in the stadium. Really? So which you think's weird because you think, well, I've had this great run and there was no one there to cheer me on. But you know what, Sam? It was like the marathon gods were sitting in the stands yeah. in their spirits and I felt like I'd come home and I'd made it and I was fantastic. accepted by the marathon world and, and that, for me, was just such a personal success. And wow, fantastic. And a great moment for me. So no one's ever... Be, uh, 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 you'll correct me if I'm wrong here. No one's ever broken two minutes. Uh, two, hours. Hmm? two hours. Two hours. They, uh, they won't break two <laughs> minutes. I, I, reckon, <laughs> I reckon two hours, they're about I, to break it. No one's ever he breaks broken, two, two minutes. No, break no, out in a sweat in two minutes. No one's ever <laughs> broken two hours except, I think, Kip... 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 What's his name? So Kip Chogay... He did 159, but they... Yeah, in a set-up race. Yes. So, but, and Nike, you know, and I... I I'll declare I've been I'm a Nike sponsored athlete for only 37 years, yep. so it's got to be one of the longest individual sponsorships I reckon. But I, I've got a great relationship with them; they're a fantastic company to me. And so they set up this race and had pacemakers, and it wasn't legal, it wasn't recognised, so because it wasn't in a in a fully fledged race. So, but he ran under the two hours, so he ran one hour 59 and 40 seconds yeah. or something. But it wasn't recognised as a world record because you have to do it in sort of control, uh, non-controlled circumstances with other runners and stuff. So, but most recently, so we've got Kelvin Kiptum who in his third marathon uh, broke the world record um, in um, Berlin. So, just, what, uh, in two, Chicago, sorry, was two it Chicago or Berlin? Hours just two hours and thirty-nine seconds. seconds. So we're less than one second per kilometre of it, breaking the two-hour barrier. And that's what's extraordinary about it. If so, the difference between coming um, first and maybe 
fourth or fifth or sixth or tenth is about four minutes. Two four two oh four puts you back in the pack. Doesn't does it? now. It yeah. does now. Isn't that extraordinary? Incredible. Three or four minutes over yeah. forty two kilometres can be the difference between stardom and just uh, you know having also, a good race. But it's yeah. amazing. But even you know back when I, I ran when I won the Berlin Marathon in nineteen ninety. I ran two hours, eight minutes and 16 seconds. That was the fastest time in the world in 1990 and the 16th fastest marathon in history. Now they're running eight minutes quicker. Eight minutes. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, be, I, wouldn't, be through, I wouldn't be through 40K. I'd be at 39K when but, they're finishing. But in fairness, Steve, it is... Um, I, I know... I, I know Marathons have to go out and back. You can't just run 42 straight kilometres because the uh, you might be running downhill for most of the... Uh, so you've Exactly, or with the tailwind. Well, but, so, but yeah. if you go out and then have to come back, you yeah, always yeah. have to do that, don't you? You have to be within 30% of the race distance. Have, the start and finish line have to be within 30% of the race distance. So if it's 42k, three-tenths, that's about... 12 and a half K. So the start and finish line, that's so you don't get too much of an assistance yes. by the wind and it cannot drop more than one metre per kilometre. So it can't drop more than 42 kilometres, uh, metres, and it has yep. to be 42.2 kilometres. So it can't be short, obviously. <laughs> so it has to be the right length. The start and finish line have to be within 30% of each other. Oh, so I there's see. no wind advantage and it can't drop more than 40 two metres over the entire I distance. So it doesn't have to actually... You technically don't back. go I out and back. No. To, yeah. but, but so if you wanted the fastest course in the world, so somewhere like Valencia or if, you know, if you're running a course here in Melbourne, what you would do is you'd put it within, obviously, the start and finish within 29 percent of the yep. dist of the distance you'd run 40 meters downhill yep. and you do it in a in a way that the prevailing winds are tailwind and because then obviously you'd, you're having a course that's manufacturing taking advantage yep. of every issue you can to get as fast as you possibly can and that's what's happening because yes, you know so cities want to have if you if you're if you're a berlin marathon what you want is a world record on your course so yep. chicago now will be they'll be have they'll be pushing them back in droves now because the world record's on that course. So, and the women's was Berlin. So, Berlin, you know, where I where I had my great victory. That's that was probably the best marathon in the world. But Valencia and uh, where they ran two oh one, the fourth fastest time just a couple of weeks ago in history by, um, I think he was an Ethiopian guy, Lima Lemma. So he won in two oh one twenty something. So, so the marathon world's just progressing all the time. So, now. so I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Ethiopian guy and the great. Uh, Gabriel, uh, Hale, Gabriel Haley Gabriel Gabriel Selassie. Yeah, I can just get his name right. Uh, they're all the top. I've just looked this up. Um, the top, all the top runners are Afri uh, Africans, uh, aren't they? Um, primarily, not all. I wouldn't well, generally, I, but I if you, them, I, I, I think look the first ten yeah. who hold the fastest times are all all Kenyan or Ethiopian or all Africans. Um, yeah, all Africans. That's right. Yeah. So. You, you, you are the same. You know they're all lithe and slender, and don't care. like it was a marathon yep. runner who wouldn't. What is? It's just. It's just. What is it? Well, the, you compare yourself and me. Obviously, it, it's the efficiency with which you can carry your body over that course. And to be honest, marathon running is pretty simple. I mean, you have shoes, shorts, get on singlet, the shoes in a minute. And that's that's all you wear. Yeah. I mean, you don't. It's not like we've got any equipment, so it's kind of 
person on person, which I love about it. But the interesting thing is if you're 100 kilos and I'm 60 kilos, when we're running over that, you know, every time you're hitting the ground, the, the impact yes. that you're doing, carrying that weight is inefficient. So what would happen if I got you marathon training for 12 months? You said you want to run Nike Melbourne Marathon next year or Sydney Marathon. What I you didn't would do say is that, no, I'm but if we did, good luck you would too. start training. You <laughs> yeah. would lose weight just because you would. What what happens is just by running you would lose weight, but also your body suddenly says your body. I don't care about AI technology. You, you do all of that sort of stuff. Your body is the smartest computer in the world. Now, if if I say to your body, Sam, right, we're going to be doing you know 100k a week for the next 12 months, and we're going to start running mm-hmm. distance. Your, bo- your brain would suddenly go, well, shit, we better get efficient at doing this. So it would shed weight. It would teach you to become more efficient in your running action. So what happens is your body adapts so that you become lighter, smoother and faster over the distance. And that's exactly – the Africans have got a natural advantage on us because firstly, Nairobi's at 1,600 metres, so they're like living oh, yeah, at yep. Falls Creek. Mm. Addis Ababa's 2,200 metres, so they're absolutely perfect. So that's the capital of Ethiopia, if people don't know. So that's – and they're born there. So what happens is they are genetically – so when when your parents birthed you, Mm -hmm. there were some advantages that you had. You know, you had fast-twitch fibres and you had an ability to leap so you could become an AFL footballer. What happens in Africa – Genetically, they are they are used to living in rarefied air. Yep. So there's adaptations in their aerobic system that when they come to sea level, they've already got. It's like they've got an oxygen tank on their back yep. because they're born in that environment. Good. Well, also, that's plus why, yeah. and they eat. They don't. They got. I, I see that the best thing would ever happen is as soon as a McDonald's goes to Nairobi because they'll be stuffed because they'll be knackered <laughs> because they'll get Western foods obviously not good for takeaway foods not good for anybody we know that so they eat ugali they live up in yeah. the mountains they live a Spartan life so for them that basic diet really helps them to be efficient with their running so they look after their nutrition but it's natural fiber and yeah. all that sort of stuff ugali and, and then and then you, you're on the start line and. You go, well, here's Steve Monaghetti. If I have a bad run today, if I finish 48th at the Barcelona Olympics, I go home, my family gives me a cuddle, I sleep in a bed at night, life's pretty good. I turn mm. up, I run another race and make you know, sponsors look after me. Yeah. An African, they get on the start line of the Olympic Games and they go, shit, if I don't win today, I don't feed my family for the next six months. So their desire... Yep. Yes. is incredible. So they've got, they've got motivation, they've got a natural ability, physical advantage, and they live a Spartan lifestyle. You put all of that together, perfect marathon recipe. So if you're just listening to this, uh, we're speaking to the great Steve Monaghetti, and if you think I am uh, have forgotten or um, have not failed to mention the elephant in the room, I'm giving you a five-minute warning, <laughs> Steve. I'm going to ask you about the Commonwealth Games and the fiasco and the embarrassment that was this government. I don't... This is not a political statement. The embarrassment of what's gone on uh, here and uh, overseas and the repercussions of it and the kickbacks and the bloody compensation. I'm going to get on to that, but I'm just covering this first. Uh, uh, 
I don't know if you're a great sponsor of 35 years. Nike uh, built these shoes, but apparently there's a new shoe out that costs uh, like some hundreds, up three or four or seven hundred dollars that are good for one race. Yeah. Is, so, is that is that right? So about and five years ago, Nike came out with this super shoe, and and to give you a bit of background and history. I would train in a heavier shoe because they were more supportive. So when you're running 200 k's a week, that impact can be quite significant. So you need a shoe that's got good support so that you don't get injured, tired or sore. So I'd train in a heavier shoes and then I'd turn up at a marathon and I would have just a thong with a roof over it because that's all I wanted because if I was going to carry that shoe over 42 k, I wanted to have no weight at all. And I didn't care if it banged up my legs because I was happy to have a great race result and take two months to recover and then get back going because I felt that that light shoe allowed me to race faster. Anyway, about five years ago, Nike sent me a pair of shoes, and the first thing I do when I get a new pair of shoes is I put them on the scales, measure, weigh them. And I weighed these shoes, and they said, these are the new super-duper racing shoe, and mine were about 150 grams that I used to race in, Air Zoom Streak and and, um, Mariah's. Anyway, these weighed about 220 grams, and I I said, no, no, I'm not racing in these. (laughs) These are like an army boot. You know, they said, no, look, everyone's been wearing them. We've got really good feedback. So I I said, all right. So I wore them in in a... um, race up at the Gold Coast, 10K, and I know I was in 33.30 shape. So this is five years ago, so I still going pretty yeah, yeah, well. What, you're what? 33.30 shape, so for 10K, so about 3.20K pace. Oh, yeah, um, sorry, yep, yep. And anyway, I ran this race, and I just didn't get tired near the end, and I ran like 32.45, and I said, wow, I know I can't run that fast. So these shoes gave me a 45-second advantage over 10K, so about... Four, mm. four seconds quicker per K. And I said to Nike, these are fantastic. These are just great. And Why? Because they've got a carbon plate. So I land on my, I'm a heel striker, so I'd land on my heel and the carbon plate was so stiff, it would just roll you onto the front of your forefoot and you'd push off. So you didn't need to use any, expend any energy to get onto the front of your foot to push off. So is the logical... Then they also had foam that's almost so springy that it would, when you landed on that foam, it would almost bounce back with more energy than compression. So you'd almost, it was like having springs in your in your ah. shoes. So you're on your toes, which you want to be to push off, but you're also almost like having this spring effect. So you didn't get fatigued because you're springing off every step. So the very fact that you've explained that, is this going to be a problem? Is this the Oscar Pistorius uh, um, uh, scenario where he's on blades and springs like a kangaroo. At some stage, they might say the shoes are just uh, are just giving you too much of an artificial advantage. And that's exactly what they did do. So there was Argy Bargy and you know Ali Kipchoge when he broke the two hours. He had shoes. So they've come back to a rule now. You can actually have these shoes, but they can only have a certain stack height so they can only be certain height and certain amount of foam so there are restrictions and limitations now and they have to then be available to the general public as well so they can't be just a one-off shoe for you they're about 380 dollars for um these are the nike ones but what the shoes you're talking about was uh, in the Berlin Marathon, um, the lady broke the world record, ran 2.11, which is incredible, just about what I ran for my first marathon. And she had this pair of um, another brand that isn't Nike, so I can't mention them because I'm not allowed to, but another brand that um, is famous around the world. They're 780 Australian dollars, so 500 US. You wear them once and you throw them away, or you can probably wear them a couple of times. But I tell you, if, if you say to someone... 
you're going to break the world record, but you can never wear them again. Obviously, they're going to wear them because yep. it's worth whatever money because obviously the endorsements. But that will now translate into people wearing – recreational runners will look at those and go, wow, you know, I want a pair of those because I'm going to run my personal best. Yep. And even though I won't be able to wear them again, it'll be worth it because I'll get bragging rights for my friends and on Strava and all that stuff. And so I, I think what they did from them, some people bought them and then put them on eBay and they were selling them for like $1,500 or something like that. Oh, they're that, making yeah. a profit. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll buy two pairs. That's why, you know, <laughs> when you buy Penfolds Grange, you buy a dozen and you sell half and keep half and you, you drink it. So, so that's how it works. Pay for your expense. Was the woman, the female, was that Tiggist Asifa? Asifa, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. She, she ran 2.11. She holds the 51. She, or 53. She holds a world record now for the women's marathon. And, you know, the world record, I, I was, you know, that's come down enormously now. And, you know, we're. Um, our Australian record, the women's Sinead Diver broke the Australian record last year in um, in Valencia and ran two twenty one, and that was a great run. And I'm thinking, well, how good's that? But now the the women's record's gone from Paula Ratcliffe held it for a very long time right. at two fifteen fifty, and it's just got quicker and quicker and quicker. So yep. where minute, where will it stop? Two minute knows? warning, uh, two minute warning about the Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So so. Um, and can I say that men's world records now down to two hours and thirty nine seconds or whatever it is? I think it's Get, keeps getting quicker. I can't even keep up with it. But I said, Sam and Sue, in my lifetime, I would never see a marathon run under two hours. Well, no. I'm either going to die pretty quickly yep. or it it's is going to happen gonna because happen. it's incredible that it's, it's this Kelvin Kiptum, it's only, that was only his third marathon. He's run two hours, one fifty, two hours, one twenty, and now two hours and 39 seconds. So he's inevitably going to break the two hours. And we are going to have that, you know, those John Lennon, Princess Di moments. Where were you? Uh, the four-minute yep. mile, yep. Um, Bannister and yep. Landy. Where were you when, when, when whoever it is broke two hours for a marathon? I, Legally. So I'm going to ask you this. It's a, it's a contentious issue. but Before it's you do that, can I ask one question? You can ask as many as you like. How so. important is the Commonwealth Games to athletes as a stepping stone for the Olympics, is it? Or yeah. how important is the Com Games for athletes? Oh, it's enormously important. It's where I got my – because, you know, you don't yeah. – the, the bit people don't realise, Sue, and, and, you know, Cathy Freeman, the same, she, she, she will openly say that she would not have gone to the World Championships or become an Olympic champion had she not had the opportunity to, to – the pathway through Commonwealth Games. Steve Hooker, the same in Melbourne, 2006, 23 year old, and you know, I won the pole vault. They went on to win indoor world championships and Olympic gold because he had the exposure of the Commonwealth Games. And for me, that 10,000 metres that I ran to get into the Commonwealth Games in 1986, I ran 28 minutes 25.6 seconds for the 25 laps around the oval. The qualifying time was 28 minutes and 26 seconds. So less than half a second, I was the last person selected for that Commonwealth Games team in 86. Absolutely no doubt about it. There was an opportunity in the marathon. I jumped in the marathon, won a bronze medal, and my career took off. I went. I did not miss representing Australia for the next 15 years successively because I had the exposure of the Commonwealth okay. Games. It was the opportunity, and that's why... I give everything, I'll do anything for, I bleed Commonwealth Games because of the opportunity it gave me to become the person that I am. Because there's a lot of people out there who say that the Commonwealth Games isn't the Olympics because it's not the best, but I don't think they know the importance of what it does for athletes to have that stepping stone. Yeah, and also, Sue, interestingly, not only a stepping stone, it is the the qualifying times are, are lower, so it's easier to make a Commonwealth Games team. 
some people it's the only team they ever make. So the only time they put on an Australian singlet is at a Commonwealth Games because not, not, no disrespect to them, but they, they, they wouldn't be good enough to go to a Worlds or an Olympic yeah. Games. So for them to represent Australia, and at a multi-sport event, because, you know, we, we have para-sport as well, so para, it's very inclusive, so we have para-sport events included in a Commonwealth Games. So the exposure that you mix with other... You're walking around the village with, you know, swimming, basketball players, yeah. netballs, all of that. You don't get that opportunity in, in other events. So Melbourne, uh, sorry, regional Victoria in 2026 was going to be the only multi-sport event prior to Brisbane in 2032. So that gives you some context, you know. I'll defend it to the cows come home, but I also want to give you some practical context to how important it is to athletes. Oh. Seeing as we're, seeing as we're, uh, we, I, I was just we've hit it. Is that a one minute warning or thirty no, seconds? Yeah, we've was, gone. Uh, the gun's gone. I was just going to ask you what happens. I know this is going to be devil sport uh, it, if it already hasn't. What happens when a trans person enters the women's marathon? Then what? Well, there's there's World Athletics has come out with um, particular rules now. So there was sort of you know, hormone levels and controls because we want to, you know, you want to make it fair if we can. It's not fair. It doesn't matter what they do. If you've got two X chromosomes, you're a woman. And if you've got an XY chromosome, you're a man. And that's the category you run in. The rest is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And you, that's, I'm not asking yeah. you to No, say no, that. you're obviously not. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm very open. I, I love what sport brings to people's lives and experience. And it also has gives us a chance to have a conversation. I love that we're educating, you know, educating community on transgender issues. And if we have the conversation, at least we're chatting about it rather than it being locked away in, in, in a shed or, you know, or um, we just um, deny having, that, he, that it I'm exists. I'm not having the conversation about it. No, <laughs> I'm gathering I, I, you're I'm not, Sam. I'm you're gathering you're not. patently <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. I don't care. If you want to... Trans people want to compete with... Whoever, that's fine, but when it's for medals or success or diplomas or scholarships, it is, it is just so ridiculous. Now, mm. now Steve, uh, the, 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 you've gone on about the Commonwealth Games, the reprehensible, the decision of the state government who, this was false electioneering. If they didn't know uh, 18 months out that this wasn't going to happen, they... Garnered votes for the current uh, state election by saying all the regionals would get new stadiums and it'd be spread around the whole of the state, mm. and everyone said, "Yeah, we'll vote for you, Dan. Don't worry about that." To do that at the just at the dr- I don't know how long they took. It is so annoying. Not that they can't afford it. If they couldn't afford it, they shouldn't have bid for it. They must know they couldn't have afforded it. But to hoodwink the public and the athletes, it is disgraceful. How many? Mm. Countries in the Commonwealth Games, we tried to work out... 72. Or it might be... I think we've just added two new ones. I think it's 74 now. Uh, It is... uh, So you talk about the importance, and it mightn't be the creme de la creme, mightn't be the Americans or the Russians or the Chinese, but uh, to to do that, it it is... uh, You must, must, as an elder statesman, you must um, 
think, my God, uh, that is just disgraceful. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you, there's politicians aren't my favourite people right at the moment. You know, I felt um, let down for the athletes, and you know, Were having you lived the experience, well, especially in, to come to regional Victoria, you know, and have events in Ballarat, which is my hometown, and you know, I was hoping, and it looked like the marathon was going to be run in Ballarat. So, you know, obviously that was of, of great significance to me, and you know, and the excitement and the personal involvement i just saw every person i bumped into in ballarat and regional yeah. victoria were going to be involved they're going to volunteer they're going to come to events they'd already booked yeah, accommodation all the lies that they yeah. told uh, ballarat and all the uh, regional countries uh, states uh, cities all the lies they told them I'm, I'm not asking you to say that they're lying i'm telling you they're yeah. lying uh, it is it is extraordinary were you as as i said the elder statesman of this uh, business were you? Did you have an inkling that it was happening? Did not you get at all. Forward no. advance. Absolutely notice? not. Were you I mean, I'm consulted? on. I'm on Commonwealth Games Australia board, and I was in America actually, travelling around um, on a holiday with my family, uh, or my wife and our daughter Olivia, Tanya and Olivia, and and I got a I got a message. So luckily, the time difference was okay. I was at Troopy's house, Lee Troop, my good mate, and I got a message at four thirty saying emergency board meeting i thought oh wow this is weird so i'm over there i dialed in you know and and i'm listening and sure enough um first craig phillips comes on ceo and says just letting you know the commonwealth games have been cancelled and i was just i was it was an hour before the press conference was being held so that was my only inkling was one hour before the official announcement and there's was made. The arrogance and the pomposity of that of those people uh that government, this government, how it's this government, I don't know, to make that decision without consulting people like yourself is, is extraordinary and it is, uh, uh, we must be, we must, they laughed at us enough about uh, what we did with COVID around the world, uh, but they must have, the rest of, the, you've had any mm. feedback from yeah. all the 78 Commonwealth countries about just uh, what's going on in this um, this little hick town yeah. down here. Well, I think the worry now, um, Sam, is that the future of the movement, and you know, we've, we, I, don't, I don't think, and it's, I don't like, I don't talk, like talking about myself and the historical nature of the event, but the opportunities that it's given, and now, you know, from a Commonwealth Games Federation perspective. So the international body, you know, we we don't have a host for 2026. We don't have a host for 2030. We don't have a host for any future games. So, you know, the future of the Commonwealth Games movement is now seriously being questioned by people and people. So for me, it dilutes. And every medalist and every person who's put on a Commonwealth Games uniform, or an Australian uniform at the Commonwealth Games, you know, they'll it'll just be, it'll be, cast off to some historical event that you know didn't exist or that was a historical thing in the past rather than being aspirational so i love to think that if a if a young person is listening to this they're they're getting some inspiration from what we're talking about but more importantly they're getting some aspiration to put on the australian singlet and run or compete at a commonwealth games they can be a paralympian they can be a transgender they can be uh, and athletics and whatever they want to be that they are aspiring to represent australia at the commonwealth games because it's a beautiful way of representing your uh, country so, so and that's been are, taken away from them at the moment we don't know the future of the commonwealth games movement and that you know that to me is really sad we are in vehement agreement you, we mean, are it's just <laughs> it's extra, uh, so people well they say oh it's only 12 
countries really that are any good at the there's 78 countries or 74 or 76 countries that have had the rug pulled out from yeah. under their feet by uh, by this disgraceful uh, pulling the wool over the Victorian public's eyes not because they couldn't afford it they should have said we can't afford it we won't bid for it but they just wanted the glamour and the prestige of saying, yes, we're having it and we're going to build stadiums and people thought, oh, well, we'll vote for you because that employment and oh, PR, they are a disgrace. They're the most corrupt and dishonest government in the world. Yeah, You've said it. I, I no, just want I'm to give you an it. example. I'm, of course I'm saying I was the, at 2006 in Melbourne, which are fantastic games, one of the best Commonwealth games ever. I was, I was fortunate enough to be the mayor of the... Athletes Village out at um, at um, oh, near Carlton, just yeah. um, just off the freeway. Yeah, anyway, chef, so as chef de mission. Uh, no, so this was the oh, mayor. No. This was before <laughs> I was the chef. But what the mayor of the village was, so I welcomed everyone. So everyone stayed there. So it wasn't just the chef of the Australian team. This was the mayor of the whole village where there were seven thousand athletes staying, and I had the pleasure of conducting what's called a welcome ceremony. Now, for every one of those 72 nations it was at the time, every one of those 72 nations has an opportunity to have be centre stage. Um, we have a gift-sharing ceremony. Uh, we raise the flag of their country, play the national yep. anthem. And, Sam, it was the most emotional moment of my Commonwealth Games life because a place like Tuvalu, yeah. who has no real presence in the... It doesn't get invited to big economic... Yeah, Trinidad and Tobago. They don't get invited to big economic forums and all that sort of stuff. For the one time in the four years of their existence, they feel like they're accepted and they've got a worth and they are a Commonwealth country. So I saw those welcome ceremonies. People, the, The... Chef demissions of those teams, mm. chefs demission of they, those teams, they, they were crying. They were crying. They the emotion wept. was unbelievable. Mm. And I I take that to my grave thinking how important is – so the Commonwealth Games is not a sporting event. It's a cultural opportunity for every country in the Commonwealth to come and share that experience of their nation in you know in a, using the Games as the, the vehicle to and do it. And that's what the charlatans who run this country, uh, this state – uh, would never even think of stuff like that. They got their heads so far up their backsides, they wouldn't think about all those things and what damage they've done. They are an absolute disgrace on a whole lot of fronts. But that and the COVID stuff, what they did uh, to us, reputation overseas, is uh, disgraceful. Uh, yeah, and you know, we missed out on a lot of sporting <laughs> opportunities over COVID. So, yeah. what a better way to come out of COVID and get you know the yeah. athletes back by having it. So, do you reckon it'll be here? in uh, what the, I think Queensland and Perth were going to do with sharing? Do you reckon that's going to happen, or do you think that's it? Mm. Well, I think I think Queensland um, withdrew their interest um, last week, so it's 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 a struggle. Yeah, it's and you know what. Well, we were updated. We had a board meeting um, last week, and we've got some updates. And we're still hopeful that there will be a games in twenty twenty six. May maybe even early twenty twenty seven, so we can push it out because it's getting tight now just for organising it. So it might, won't be the games that we know. It'd be a, a more uh, diluted version. But we're hoping just for the continuity because if you miss one. You know, it just breaks that sort of cycle, and I reckon you know you, it might be difficult after that to get it. Do you reckon there's going to be host. anyone who's going to be accountable for the, for cancelling the games? Is there any actions that are going to be? Or well, we, there was Senate in- inquiry. I was at a parliamentary inquiry last week, so oh, there yeah, are how'd some. That go? I can't remember anything. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Oh, no, I can't remember. Well, gee, did that happen? Where? Oh, I'm sorry, but I didn't know that. 
We presented on behalf of uh, this was Athletics Australia, the hat that I was wearing for that, and you know we're, we're keen to see some funds hopefully come to Athletics because you know there was a lot of um, talk about a new track in Ballarat, and Athletics is often right. the often we don't get you know Olympic Parks now Lakeside Stadium, so that's moved over to Professional Co. One of your professional codes that may one of your teams might be in there yes. sam as you know um, was olympic park it's now collingwood's training ground yeah. so you know so we we don't get a lot of legacy from events anyway so this is probably an opportunity for us to hopefully just raise because athletics at the moment the sport we had the best result we've ever had it in budapest at the world championships this year we had great results in tokyo paralympics just absolutely flying so the sport's in a real it's in the best place it's ever been now we need just the funding and the infrastructure to give the pathways for this next generation to come through the opportunity that because we we're kicking goes we just won athletics australia just won world athletics federation of the year so out of t- i think it's 214 federations around the athletics world we are australia is number one wow. how many people in australia know that we've got the best athletics federation in in the world so what an accolade so we are going really well and we need just to yes. get the community Along someone, for the ride, someone a corporate said, support would be great too. Sammy, who, who's listening out there, pump up because we we rely a lot on government funding. And well, you know, well, if they the change their minds, don't worry about the haters. Someone said this: don't worry about the haters. They're just angry because the truth you speak contradicts the lies they live. That is the state quote of the quote of the of the yeah, pod being. That's the state government. Now, finally, yeah. just finally, we're just uh, it's been fantastic. We have really enjoyed it. Um, is is uh, in this particular sport is 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 drugs a uh, problem or is it so if ever there was going to be a uh, need to take drugs it would probably be to run 42k <laughs> or uh, are you tested pretty regularly and severely oh or? yeah yeah yep. obviously and there's there's talk about epo you know that was in cycling sort of in the 90s and that's pure or spinning your blood is it or something no oh, i think that? that's i oh, think no, that's I syn- injecting synthetic because um, in oh. so what what the one other thing that happens when you're at altitude, your red blood cell count yep. goes up. Now your red blood cells are your oxygen carrying yeah. cells, and that obviously means you've got more oxygen in your blood, so you can run faster. So I think EPOs artificially doing that. So I don't, I don't know a lot about it, obviously, and um, so that the, if they're injecting EPO, there's a, a benefit to because you increase your red blood cell count. I think, and you can absorb more training, but you can also run faster in events. So other than that, it's any, pretty pure sport. Any experience to be at the four Olympics you went to uh, Atlanta, um, Australia, Barcelona, or Seoul? Any? One incident stands out that you could uh, titillate us with or um, uh, an experience that we mightn't have known hitherto up until now? Um, I do remember, this This was quite unusual, this was at the World Championships in 87 in Rome when I finished fourth. I, I um, This is unusual because, you, 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 you know, you're focused and you're running along. We, we had an out-and-back section on the course and we're running down one side of the road and um, in the median strip, there was a grass median strip and there was a, a guy... Um, Dave Shoulders, who I did engineering with, hadn't seen him for hadn't seen <laughs> him for about five years, huh? and he yelled out, and he says, "Go, Mona!" And I kind of looked, and I thought, "Oh, should I think that was Dave Shoulders?" Anyway, we kind of went about another hundred meters down the road and turned around, did a U-turn, and came back, and I looked across and I said, "Hey, Dave, you know, good to see you, mate." And I, I reckon all these Kenyans and Africans in the race Fantastic. must have been thinking. 
mate, he's got his own bloody cheer squad out here. How's yeah, this happening? Yeah, I'm chatting to people on the sidelines. So funny things like that happen in the race. I remember in Tokyo in 91 at the World Championships, we're running along and I looked across and the traffic goes in a different direction in Japan, same as us, but different yeah. to um, Europe. Anyway, there was a lady sort of was coming over to give us a cheer. And I just looked just out of the side of my eye. <laughs> anyway, obviously the traffic's going the other way. Hit this lady. She was on the bonnet, over the bonnet. Anyway, um, we're thinking, wow, did you see that? That lady just got hit by a car. The guy running next to me, European, I think he was not sure where he was from. He goes, that was my wife. <laughs> I think she was okay, but oh, my God, imagine that. Imagine you're halfway through the bloody World Championships marathon. You see your wife get hit by a car. Not sure that's going to end well. Well, wow. uh, Steve that's what happens. It's John, been fantastic. Sp- uh, enjoyed the thank chat. Thank you so much. Uh, we're into sports. We are a sport, sport-loving country. The greatest sporting event I've been to was the World Cup soccer in um, Munich because uh, it was Australia. We're watching there, and it's great when you put on the when you have put on the uh, Australian singlet and, singlet and colours and. Uh, we all get behind everyone that represents Australia. So thank you very much for coming into. Absolute you pleasure. Be serious. Hope we've provided some entertainment out we, there. We Thanks. Are, right.